strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I want to invite you to join us in the Action Alliance. Uh, we put this together as a way to serve our community. We're doing a lot of community service projects throughout the year. They're a lot of fun. We put them together. You can just show up and help. If you'd like to be on the list and find out when these events are happening and join us when you can, just text the word ACTION to 411923. We'll even send you a free T-shirt while supplies last. That's ACTION to 411923. Interesting story about... Um, the tax cuts or the uh, food tax in cities. So what was happening at the state legislature is Republicans were saying that some municipalities are levy- levying taxes on groceries and on rent. And that, generally speaking, is lower income people when it comes to rent. Higher income people generally own homes. There is no tax on that. You pay property taxes, but there isn't a tax on your payment. So the legislature said we should not be taxing people on food and shelter. So they were going to outlaw municipalities from doing that. The governor has vetoed that piece of legislation, which seems like counterintuitive because you would think it is the the way the politics is divided in perception. The perception is that uh, Republicans are more the party of the rich and Democrats are more the party of the working class. So you would think if this is a benefit to the working class, they'd be in favor of it. Well, the governor vetoed this. It was SB 1063. And uh, she's um, she talked about the fact that she believes that this is going to hurt cities because it may force them to cut services. Now, I don't agree with that. I'll tell you what I think the reasons are. I think the reason is this, because I don't think they believe that the money will be going back into the pockets of the renters. It will go to the rentees, that it will be the people, the landlords would get the money, because right now that payment is lumped into your payment. So you pay a tax on your rent and they figure that in and the landlord would then – you'd still pay the same amount. They're going to cut your rent that amount. So in, F, in essence, it's going to help the landlord and not the renter. So I think that's what's behind it. And as far as city services go, there are some municipalities that say that they are going to have to cut services. I don't believe that's true. Cities, like any other governmental agency, can find ways to get the money they need. Here in Arizona, um, we have low income taxes. We've cut income taxes. But the state does get its money. The state has uh, – it's pretty hefty cost to register your vehicle in Arizona compared to other places. Florida, where I grew up, it used to be a flat fee. As a matter of fact, for a long time in this country, almost every rental car in the country was registered through the state of Florida because they had a flat rate to register vehicles. And in Arizona, it's based on the value of your vehicle. It's very high. I pay a high price to register my vehicle. And that's just so states and the municipalities, they find a way to they can always find a way to make up that revenue. The idea that they're going to have to cut services is an old adage that people say, which is cops and firefighters and teachers are going to have to go. And I don't necessarily believe that's true, but that's what they're saying. Um, Should we be taxing Food. I'm not talking about when you go through the drive through. I'm talking about when families go to the grocery store. We talk very often about what can be done by government. I've railed against the Biden administration on many issues as far as what they can do. There are things that are out of their control, but are they doing everything within their control to make prices reasonable for the working class in America? And I've railed on the areas where I didn't think they have. 
And so we hear about slashes. I'll give you an example. We hear about a, they say we are going to get rid of all the subsidies for the oil companies. Well, that's not going to save you one penny at the pump, not one penny, because what will happen is it will cost more money for gasoline because their costs have just gone up. Now, if the federal government were to say we are going to get rid of the subsidies for oil companies, but we are also going to cut the national gas tax, so you're paying less at the pump. So when they raise prices for production costs, we're going to lower them by lowering your taxes. At least it's balancing out, but they never do that. They don't do that. So if I'm going to say the government has a responsibility to make things as little as least expensive as possible, especially for the necessities, why are cities and towns taxing your groceries? It is a cost, and it is a cost right now when that is one of the number one cost uh, measures for inflation and the increase in inflation and the ongoing high inflation is food costs, the necessities for families. So I understand what the Republicans were trying to do, uh, but the governor vetoed this piece of legislation. Um, she said, uh, it, what's more, it does nothing for the more than 800,000 Arizonans who use SNAP or WIC benefits for their groceries as the constituents are already exempt from the tax. Let's work together to provide real relief for Arizonans struggling with higher costs. Um, so Sonny Borelli, who is the spot, introduced this bill, said this veto is, is a disgraceful windfall for cities and an absolute gouge for families. Food is not a luxury. It's a necessity. A tax on groceries is a regressive and it hurts everyone. I, I, I agree with Sonny Borelli. I, I just think and most cities don't have a tax on food. Some still do. I just think taxing food is inappropriate. Um, and so I didn't I thought this would be something that would sail through and it didn't. Um, so it's it's fascinating how the politics of all this plays out. And um, so there are a couple of things when you take into account that you're getting rid of those taxes and you're actually not helping Arizonans. We think there's a better way to help because the League of Arizona Cities and Towns opposes both tax bills. Uh, Tom Belshi from the, the director has told us here at KTAR News um, in February on our show said that there are already 5.7 million Arizonans who don't pay rental taxes and 3.2 million who don't pay grocery taxes. But what about those that do? Cities and towns will find a way to make that revenue up. They will find another revenue stream with taxes in another area that's not on the necessities like food. And I think that that's I don't think that's a bad thing. There is a reason why most cities in Arizona don't levy this tax and they're able to fully fund public safety. But. It, it didn't pass. So I would say in those cities and towns, if you live in one of those towns where there is a food tax, I would start going to your city council meetings or town council meetings, and I would I would start saying to them, what's going on? Why is it that other cities are able to survive and thrive, but you can't? Can't you find a different way to make up that tax revenue instead of on food? Maybe that's what you need to start doing, engaging in your local city council. In a moment, um, how do safety requirements vary in Arizona schools, some private, some public, and what questions should parents be asking? That's coming up here very soon. Strong Valley. 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. A uh, great conversation about school safety. I had a great conversation yesterday with my friend Steve Hooper, and a lot of people reaching out and asking about Steve's company. It's called Tripwire Security Solutions, and uh, it's about practical solutions. And, and, and I don't think you can ever be 100% fail-safe, but putting the odds in your favor of stopping something bad before it happens. And uh, we're talking about schools, corporations, any place where you know this, these things are happening. Um, a big question about school shootings, I have my own opinion about some of these things that are happening and how they can be fixed. And uh, maybe we'll get into it. But the question here, this is written over at the Arizona Republic. School safety requirements vary at private and public schools in Arizona. Um, Unlike Arizona's public district schools, which are required by state law to create emergency response plans with local law enforcement agencies, private schools are not required to have a school safety plan. Now, see, that's I, I will tell you they're not required because it's not run by the state. But I will tell you this. Um, when you say they're required to have a school safety plan, um, as recently as I think a year ago, maybe a little more. We talked about it on this show. Uh, Phoenix had nothing. I mean, it was it was a joke of what their safety plan was. It was a it was like a red folder hanging on the wall of one sheet that told teachers what to do. And it was if you're outside and it happens, run inside. If you're inside, hide. And and they didn't do drills. They didn't do anything. The Phoenix Union High School District got rid of school resource officers a few years ago. So uh, just because you're in a public school that's required to have a plan doesn't mean a they have a good plan or b that they practice or do anything with the plan um when my girls when my girls were younger and i was married to their mom and we were living all in the same house we had a plan um it's not a very elaborate plan but we had a we had a burglar alarm in the house and the the rule was and the plan was if the burglar alarm goes off in the middle of the night as much as your human nature would be to go see what's happening, that nobody leaves their room. No, nobody leaves the room they're in except me. I'm going to grab a gun and I'm going to make sure that there's no threat in our home. And I do not want to run into a shadow in the dark, having it be one of my children or my wife and accidentally shoot them or even point a gun at them. So we even had a plan in our house. Having a plan is, is important. The school safety thing, I will tell you, it, what boggles my mind about this, um, we, all wanted, we can all argue gun control, and we can do that throughout the day if you'd like. But when you hear people on, on, uh, that are in favor of gun control, they also don't want metal detectors at schools. They don't want police on campuses. We don't want schools to look like prisons. They don't have to look like prisons. I we, we did um, a couple of things. We've done some really cool things here with the radio show. Most recently, we spent a couple of days on Radio Row for the Super Bowl. There were cops everywhere. I mean, everywhere for the for the Super Bowl experience, the NFL experience downtown, where they had Radio Row in the convention center. We went through metal detectors every morning when we went in. I always carry a pocket knife. Just I've always done it. Always carry a pocket knife. I had at one point go back and put my pocket knife in the vehicle or throw it away because you can't go in with a pocket knife. 
But there's metal detectors. There was a cop there by the metal detectors for the media entrance. There were cops all over the floor. Didn't feel like a prison. Felt like a party. The advocacy for gun control does not want to look at any other possible solution. I will say to you that firearms are not evil in and of themselves. If you go and watch the video of the police officers that took out this suspect, they all had one had a shotgun, another one had an AR-15 or what you would call an assault rifle, and then another officer, the final officer – Um, In all of this, uh, his name was Colazzo, had a semi-automatic handgun. Those weapons were not evil in that instance, were they? They were taking out evil. The idea of protecting children means that we have to know, the criminals have to know. You know, I know this is a dumb analogy, but when I was younger, there was a big thing that everybody had in their car as a protection device called the club. And you put it over your steering wheel, which made it impossible to steer your car. So car thieves had to cut those things off. Now, they weren't they weren't again, um, they weren't 100 percent effective. You could cut them off. But what it was was a deterrent. When a car thief walked by your car and saw the club, they went to another car because your car was just more difficult and more and more uh, you know work than they wanted to put in. And a lot of times, in this case, this shooter had other targets. Maybe we'll learn more about this. Maybe we won't. But there were more targets that she didn't choose because security was at a higher level. A gun-free zone tells a criminal. It's open season. And that's a part of it because these are predators, mentally deranged. Anybody that can shoot a child is deranged in my book, mentally deranged for sure. But they're predators and they are going to go after the easy prey. So if I were a parent uh, having children in the public school system or a private school, I would want to know what is the safety plan. And you can ask. What's the safety plan? How often do you go over it with the staff? How often do you practice it? We had fire drills when I was a kid. They were useless. They would say, we got a fire drill today, and then you hear the fire alarms go off, and people would shuffle out of class, and you'd all line up, and the teachers would count and make sure they had everybody. And it was useless because it got to be so mundane. But now with what's happening in the world, we have to deal with reality. If you're going to have a safety plan at your school, someone's got to be in charge. Someone's got to make sure the staff knows what everybody is supposed to do. Uh, Last thing I'll say about this, if if you've ever watched the documentaries about 9-11, and I am so sorry I cannot remember this man's name or the company he worked for. But there was a guy that was in charge of security for one of the companies within the World Trade Center. And he practiced evacuations. He made the people that work for this company practice evacuations just in case. Those people got out. Everybody hated the drills, walking down all those stairs and all the things that were entailed. People got out because there was someone that said just in case. So I I think it's a great um, reminder if you've got kids in school, ask those questions. Um, In a moment, How much money of your money has Phoenix spent fighting the zone law? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I just like the song. I can listen to the song all morning. Thanks for being here this morning. How much of your money has Phoenix spent fighting the zone? And the zone is that homeless encampment downtown. Um, uh, I find myself doing more and more explanation. I'm torn on this issue for a number of reasons. Um, Homelessness has a very special place in my heart. Um, What I mean by that is... I have a cousin who died homeless. I'm not going to tell the story again. I've told it many times on the air. And he was somebody that I was very close to as a child. And I looked up to him. He was a year older than me. I looked up to him very, very much. And he spiraled out of control when his mother passed away when he was in high school. My aunt died. And he turned to drugs and alcohol, and he genuinely just gave up on his life. He was one of those people that they called service-resistant. Turned alcohol and drugs, um, was on the streets, washed windows to make enough money for a little bit of food and a lot of alcohol and drugs, and eventually it killed him. But I would go and visit – he lived in Vegas. I would go and visit my cousin, his sister, who lived there, and I would always see him when I was there, and it didn't matter how disheveled he looked, and he did. He looked exactly like you would picture in a young homeless guy. Um, He was still my cousin. I still saw Kenny. Um, So I knew the backstory. I knew who he was. I didn't see who he is. Does that make sense? I wasn't looking at what he is. I was remembering what he was. And he was always that to me. And I realize when it comes to homelessness that every person out there on the street has a story. Every person on the street um, has someone that prays for them and loves them and wishes that they would turn things around. But we have to look at it also from a societal point of view that business owners and society in general does not have to feel endangered and their businesses should not suffer because people are camping out and relieving themselves on the streets and killing each other and doing drugs openly and prostitution. And that's not that's not what a civilized society does either. So I understand the problem. The city of Phoenix spent $98,000 in taxpayer money fighting the lawsuit, Um, and the judge in the end ordered them to clean up the zone. I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. I'm going to defend the city for a moment. Um, I think the city has been caught between a rock and a hard place. I think they have. I, I think that they were told that there was a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has said there's nothing you can do, that this is protected and people have a right and you can't do this. But this judge is now saying, hang on, wait a minute. You still have to enforce the laws. You can't allow prostitution. You can't allow open drug use. You can't allow people relieving themselves on the sidewalks. You can't allow that. You wouldn't allow it anywhere else. If, if I did any of those things, they would arrest me. So just because people are unhoused or homeless doesn't mean that they can violate the law. So they've given the city until July to clean this up. So there are a couple of things that could happen. There's going to be, I hope, I hope they're making a plan that they are going to make a concerted effort that the people that want to be off the streets, the ones that are on the streets due to circumstances, maybe circumstances they created, but circumstances uh, that are not um, service resistant, that will take help. They will give those people help. 
And the people that are service resistant, what do we do with them? Are they going to go to other cities? They just might. They may figure out you're not welcome in Phoenix and you're going to see him in Tempe. And then Tempe's got to deal with it. That doesn't mean I let Tempe deal with it. It means that may be part of it. Um, are we going to say to people, uh, where do you want to go? Where do you have family? Where do you have resources? Well, I have a sister in Topeka. Well, we're going we're gonna to put you on a bus and send you to Topeka so you can be with your sister. There's a lot of different things that may happen here. But we have to realize this is a complex problem. At the same time, I am glad the judge made the decision that he made because the property owners and the business owners in this part of town deserve the same respect everybody else gets. If you have a business in any other part of town, we don't have this kind of problem. I understand that – believe me, there is more compassion in my heart for this issue than a lot of people have because I have a personal connection to it. And I would like to do more personally to help solve the problem. But you also know when you work in this world that there are some people that don't want help. But they also – those people have to understand that they cannot be a burden to business owners. And and I'm just – I'm being as real as I can with this topic. When you walk into a Circle K, you should not have to be accosted by somebody that's either asking for or demanding money. A, a, a quick story with my background in mind. I was uh, – I had a, a, a business a business partner and we had our offices – around 19th Avenue and the overpass at the I-10. And there's a Circle K at 19th Avenue and Van Buren, I think, right in that neighborhood. And I went into that Circle K, and when I came out, there was a, a young homeless guy who approached a woman in her car, and she was visibly afraid. Now, he wasn't being overly aggressive, but he scared her. Now, was she wrong for being afraid of this young man? No, she wasn't wrong. She was afraid. She was trapped in her car. She had nowhere to go. And this guy came right up to the window, stuck his face in the window and asked for money. And she was visibly nervous. And I said something to the guy and said, why are you doing that? Get away. Stop asking women. And he, we got in, not a confrontation, but a conversation. And I said, you have to realize, man, I said, People are afraid when they see you. You have to deal with that. You, you have an appearance that people are afraid of. I wasn't denigrating the guy because he was homeless. I was asking him to be a human being for a moment and realize that people see you. And when you get in a, a young woman's face, she was afraid. She had every reason to be afraid. You can be homeless and self-aware. You can also understand that you can't make other people uncomfortable in front of a business because it drives business away. And that business owner isn't anti-homeless because that business owner says, I don't want you panhandling outside of my business. I mean, there is, there's logic to this. Solutions to this problem are not going to be easy, but I am glad that the judge is forcing the hand. The city put up not a fight, but they wanted clarification by this lawsuit saying, hang on a minute. This is what we've been told, and a judge has now told them what they are can do. Now I want to see them do it. Partnership with private organizations and what can get done. In a moment, are we stopping hate speech or are we violating people's First Amendment? It's a great conversation. A couple of different examples coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. 
Very interesting dichotomy here. George Mason University protesting because the governor, a Republican governor, is scheduled to speak at graduation, and students decided to protest. They don't want the bigot speaking on their campus. This, to me, is a bigger issue than people make it out to be. I think this is a big deal. I I, I really think we've got an issue with this. I want you to hear a little bit of this. This is from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. For two hours, students were singing, shouting, waving transgender pride flags, and protesting Governor Glenn Youngkin and his policies on transgender students. So uh, here's a protester speaking of why she well, this is why she doesn't believe that the governor should be speaking at their graduation. We're not against Glenn Youngkin because he's a Republican. We're against Glenn Youngkin because he's against us. Um, and we don't think that the amount of money that we pay to go to the school, the safe harbor we find here gets to have this person come in for the politics of it all. The safe harbor here. This is the issue now. Safe spaces, uh, segregated places. Um, College used to be a place that you were able to have the conversations and kind of expand your thought. What they have become now, and we are seeing more and more of this, people become so isolated in their opinions. You surround yourself with like-minded people. You only talk to people that agree with you. You look what you look at the news. Look at the new the, the news stations, the cable news stations, and you look at how isolated people are. There is one train of thought. There is one school of thought. This is what we think. This is how we think. And if you step out of line, if you don't agree with us, then you're out. And I just think that it's – I don't think it's dangerous, but I do think it's lazy. I have passionate discussions with people about a multitude of topics. Um, I don't make assumptions anymore. We just had this conversation earlier this morning. When I first got into radio, when I first started doing this job, I did what talk radio people do. Um, I believed that people on the right side of the aisle had the corner on patriotism. People on the left side of the aisle had the corner on crazy. And that's just the way it was. I was right. You were wrong because I come from a good place. I love my country. I love Arizona. You are nuts. And I learned very quickly that that's not true. There's plenty of room for crazy on my side of the aisle, and there's plenty of room for patriots on the other side of the aisle. And I may not agree with people, but that doesn't mean that just because I think they're wrong that they're bad. Now, there are bad people. There are people that are evil. Making someone out to be evil is is a horrible thing to do. So I want you to hear another headline. This isn't an American, but it is down the same train of thought. Trudeau from Canada cites anti-vaxxers and flat earthers as the reason to censor social media to keep you safe. That is so fascinating to me. First of all, what's dangerous about a flat earther? Uh, There's a great documentary, by the way, about the flat earth, and I can't remember what it's called for the life of me. But I thought it was hilarious because they bend over backwards to prove the earth is flat and just watch the last five minutes of the documentary is hilarious. But what's dangerous about a flat earther? Nothing. They just believe the earth is flat. As wrong as they are, as much evidence now that we have about this, it's they still how are they dangerous an anti-vaxxer is not dangerous to anybody but themselves well that's not true they could get other people sick only other people that aren't vaccinated right that's the point of the vaccine and what we're finding out with the real data is that the anti-vaxxers were a lot more right 
than anybody thought. And this is coming from a person that's sitting here. It's been vaccinated and fully boosted. I did it. But I didn't have the information I have now. When you marginalize somebody and then you demonize somebody, then you cancel somebody. And that's never been what America stands for. We spent so much time, and I've used this example over and over again. We have spent so much time arguing over what's appropriate, what's inappropriate for adults. Now we're doing it about children. But you, you go, go look, and I'm, I'm warning you, you may not want to do this at work. But if you're not familiar with the art of Maplethorpe, go and look it up. It was a big thing in the 80s and 90s, and these were uh, these were art exhibits that were funded partially by the National Endowment for the Arts and uh, or of the Arts, and um, people were outraged. It was homoerotic art, is what it is. I'm just telling you before you look, and people were outraged. And I told you the the thing about putting a crucifix in a jar of urine and calling it art, and the American flag and desecrating the flag and calling it art. And the number one thing that was said by defenders of this is the First Amendment protects this. It's supposed to conjure emotion. It's supposed to make some people uncomfortable and angry. That's what the whole point of art is. Well, if art is protected that way, so is everything else. And so is somebody's opinion. And when they're the governor, they get to make decisions. I don't agree with a lot of decisions of our governor who's only been in office for a short time. And I'm going to disagree with a lot more of them. But she is the governor. And I'll never argue with her doing what she thinks is best for the state. I'll say I think it's wrong, but not her right to do it. And yet here we have this subset of people in this country, many of them in college. How do they get to college with this mindset? Well, they learn it growing up. And where do they learn it? They learn it in the school system. We segregate people. We tell people you're oppressed. We tell people that um, this is hate speech and these people hate you. And because they disagree with you, they hate you. And it's okay for me to hate you, but you can't hate me because that's hate speech. But I hate you for your hate speech. It, it's, it's mind-boggling that these young adults are at college level graduating from college and are still so opposed to somebody that disagrees with them that they protest, they want to get violent. There was a college professor that just got suspended for saying in a tweet, saying to people, it would be better for you to kill people that disagree with you than to protest them. College professor said that. It's absolutely insane to me. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, did the governor's spokesperson suggest violence against transphobic people? We'll talk about it next.